Good morning. Happy Easter. We are so thankful that you're here with us to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and to worship him together. And uh, I wanted to begin the service just by saying a few announcements. I will not belabor these, um, but we wanted to let you all know a few things that are going on in the life in the, of our church one thing I know there's been questions about are, are we still collecting items for Troop County? If you do not know, there was a pretty bad tornado that went through Troop County, and the Troop County Baptist Association is collecting different items um, to take, or the, her, uh, the Carroll County is collecting for Troop County. So there's a list in the back on the, on the welcome table of items that you could bring in. If you want to bring those to the church, give them to myself or Neil. And we will get those where they need to go. But they are looking for several different types of supplies. And so if you would like that list, it's back there in the back. Um, just a reminder that we will not have services on campus tonight. Um, we will start back our normal schedule on Wednesday. <clears throat> There's several other things coming up. But like I said, just to keep in step with um, the focus of this morning... I want us to go ahead and, and move towards our call of worship. If you have any questions about any announcements that, that we may have, you can go to our church website um, or go to what I've newly named the family ministry table in the back because all of my stuff is all over it. So um, if you have any questions about those things, please see me. But as we begin worship this morning in celebration of the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask Brother Howard Scarborough if he would come forward and he's going to lead us in our call to worship. got in trouble last time I got up here, so I'm going to try to behave today. Hey, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor all his life, adult life, and he used to say what was up there a while ago. Can we put it back up there? I kind of like to be the boss. Uh, it, sa it said, did you see what it said? He is risen. And the congregation said, risen indeed that's it that's it great memories about my my sweet dad psalm 30 is our call to worship today uh, verse 1 says i will extol thee i don't know what extol means i looked it up and it means exalt i will exalt thee we could stop right there couldn't we i think we could stop right there I'll lift you up. I'll shine the light on you, O Lord. For thou hast lifted me up. Oh, thou hast lifted me up. I will lift you up. We're going to keep going for a few verses. And you have not made my foes to rejoice over me, O Lord my God. It's a song about that, isn't it? O Lord my distracted. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave, and thou hast kept me alive, and I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints. Miss Vaughn was doing that this morning at an early prayer time. She made me sing with her, and it was good. Up from the grave, was that what we did? He rose. He rose the victor over the dark domain. He lives forever with his saints to reign. I will exalt thee, that's what we're doing today, for his anger endureth but a moment, 
in his favor is life. This part we know, say it with me. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Listen, there's a famous sermon. I hope you'll listen to it on YouTube. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Have you ever heard that sermon? It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Wonderful sermon. Weeping may endure for Friday, but Sunday's coming. Easter is here. Lord God, we thank you for Easter. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the wonder of salvation from the cross of Calvary. May we see that today. May we feel it. May we love it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll stand with us this morning, we're going to begin singing, and we're going to begin worship this morning with singing, He Lives. I serve a risen Savior, He's in the world today. cheer and just in time I need him he's always near he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives today he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way he lives he lives salvation to with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to spend this morning with redeemed. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. Redeemed 
blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing for I cannot be silent. His love is the theme of my song. And at this time, we have a baptism this morning. Good morning. What a joy it is to welcome you all to Easter at Glenlock. Uh, it's a beautiful day to not only celebrate the resurrection, but to have a baptism, uh, which will celebrate the life and death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, of course, but also uh, someone's commitment to Christ. So I want to introduce to you, as she comes in, Miss Angel. Last Sunday morning, Miss Angel Swanger uh, came forward to profess her faith in Christ, to join our church, and to be baptized. She has a shirt on this morning that says, I have decided. She has decided to follow Christ not only with her life, but also in obedience to his command for us to be baptized. And as I told her earlier this morning, uh, baptism pictures and reenacts the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So uh, this is a very appropriate day uh, to be baptized. So Miss Angel, we rejoice with you and with your family and friends in your decision to follow Christ. So why don't we pray? Father, thank you this morning for your amazing love for us. Thank you for your presence uh, through the Holy Spirit among us this morning as we gather at Glenlock. What a special day this is, not only uh, to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus, but also to celebrate with Miss Angel her personal faith in Christ and her desire to follow him uh, in baptism. So we celebrate this today, Father, your grace, your love, uh, the death of Christ on our behalf, and his resurrection on our behalf. Uh, what a morning. Thank you, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Miss Angel Swanger, upon your profession of faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, and in obedience to his command, it is now my joy and our joy, my sister, to baptize you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Right. One of our favorite hymns for Easter, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And it does have a pretty long intro, but I'm going to leave it so that you can kind of have some time to pray and reflect this morning before the choir sings this beautiful hymn.
again. We are going to sing a little chorus called I Live, followed by Christ the Lord is Risen Today. Father God, Lord, thank you so much that you are risen. You are risen indeed, God. 
And Lord, for that fact, we do not serve a God or a Savior or a spirit that's laying in a tomb somewhere, God. But the rock was rolled away so that you can always have direct access to us, God. So, Lord, this morning, I just pray that we clearly see the beauty in the cross, God, and the the just magical gift in the story that you bore our, our shame and our sins, God, so that we could have redeeming love found in you, Lord. God, this morning, may um, our hearts be open to hear, and may our eyes be open, and may our ears listen closely to the word you would have for us from Galatians, God. And may you just be honored and glorified. Lord, we pray for our children who are going to be learning in children's church. And we just thank you for each person that you've brought here this morning. We love you and praise you, and we turn this time of worship over to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yeah, as the children leave, uh, the rest of us turn to the book of Galatians. Thank you, children's volunteers, for your work in our ministry. Uh, We'll be in the book of Galatians, chapter 3. 1 through 14. This is actually part 2 of where we were last week. But today, of course, the emphasis is on the resurrection of Christ. So there are three signs already in our sermon that the resurrection is a reality that we can trust and believe and embrace. The first was baptism, one of the ordinances that Christ has left us with, baptism itself is a sign pointing to the reality of the resurrection and the fact that the church, the early church, baptized people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit points to the reality that Christ really rose from the dead and that's pictured in that ongoing ordinance that the church still practices. Another sign that Christ rose from the dead is the fact that we are meeting on Sunday. Uh, to move the Jewish Sabbath as the main day of worship for the church, most of whom began their life in Judaism, the mere fact that they began to meet on the first day of the week showed that something remarkable had to happen for them to begin meeting on, on that day. And we still, the church still gathers on the first day of the week because that's the day that Christ rose from the dead. The third sign that the resurrection is a reality is the book of Galatians. I I don't know that I've ever preached Easter Sunday morning from the book of Galatians. Typically, it's something from the gospel. Luke 24, John 20, John 21, Acts 17 is good. I mean, there are a lot of resurrection passages in the New Testament and the Old Testament for that matter. But Galatians would have never happened had the Apostle Paul never met Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul was a Jew's Jew. He was entrenched in Judaism. And the very letter that he writes to the Galatians is calling them out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. And it necessitates the fact that we have a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, calling them out of Judaism into gospel-centered New Covenant life is a sign that what happened? Paul met the risen Christ. 
So we, we jokingly say as ministers, this is our Super Bowl Sunday, okay? Uh, this is the day that, that we get to announce the, the heart and, and the, the foundation of the Christian faith as ministers. Um, all of you are here. It's so good to see all of you here. Yet again, here we go. We get to proclaim the resurrection this morning from what we've been studying in the book of Galatians. But before we do that, I want to read where we were a few weeks ago. Just to remind you of the centrality and the importance of the resurrection to the Galatians. In chapter 1, verse 1, Paul began this letter. It says, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who did what? Who raised him from the dead. My apologies to Randy and Tammy in the back for jumping around in Galatians. But I'll reread that. Through Jesus Christ and God the Father who did what? Who raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul begins this momentous letter to Galatians emphasizing the resurrection of Christ. Then in verse 16, Paul, telling his own story, says that God was pleased to reveal his Son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, and then he proceeds to share his testimony, but verse 16 is crucial. God revealed his Son in me. How can God reveal Jesus in Paul unless... Christ is alive. Then let's flip over to where we ha have been more recently. I'm going to pick up with Galatians 2.20, which is how Paul personalized and appropriated into his own life the reality of the gospel, the cross and the resurrection. So I'm going to start in 2.20, then read what I promised earlier to read in 3.1-14. But again, we are emphasizing the necessity and the supremacy of the resurrection of Christ. Paul says in 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Christ lives and he lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Now, back to where I promised we would begin. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And that word could mean, who has cast a spell on you? Who has given you an evil eye? We went into some depth on that last Sunday morning. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? By hearing with faith should be the answer. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, did he do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The scripture preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. Now, what's amazing about that statement is that Abraham and Sarah, at this point in their life, are too old to have children. Yet God, through Abraham, the patriarch, is going to bless all people, all nations, all generations. How in the world is that going to take place? It is going to take place because God has the capacity and the ability to bring life where there was no life. So Paul later explains that Abraham believed in the resurrection. When God revealed to Abraham all creation, God was showing Abraham, look, out of nothing I can create the universe. When God believed the promise that he made to he and his wife, though old as dirt, so to speak, he believed that God could bring life where there was no life. And then on the, another occasion, and I digress, God called Abraham to offer up his son, his only son. And so Abraham, when he did that, was fully prepared to do what God had said and take his son's life. And the Bible tells us that the way Abraham worked through that moment was he believed that God had the power and the grace and the capacity to raise his son up from the dead. So Abraham was justified by a faith that believes in the ability of God to bring life where there was no life. So it's interesting that the Apostle Paul brings Abraham up as an example of what it means to have faith in the resurrection. And he clearly does that in the book of Romans, but I promised to preach out of Galatians, and I've gone way out of line here. So where was I? The promise to Abraham. All nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many as are the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you cannot keep the law, you are under a divine curse. Again, we worked through this last Sunday morning. Now, no one is justified by the law before God. That's evident. Because the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. 
in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so continuing from last week's exposition of this passage, I want to zero in this morning on the blessings which come to those who have a faith like Abraham and believe in Christ. These are the blessings that we receive that God promised to Abraham, but Christ achieved them and purchased them for us through the cross and the resurrection. The promises God made to Abraham throughout the Old Testament to his people are brought to us and fulfilled for us in Jesus. And so if we, like Abraham, believe in Christ, we inherit these blessings. We go from being cursed because we fail to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and being to being blessed with the blessings that God, through his grace, has promised to Abraham. Now, in this text, we have quite a contrast There are several juxtapositions in this text. I'm just going to point out before we get to the seven blessings. And yes, there are seven. I promise just to touch on the last few because I know we will be in a hurry at that point. There's the contrast in this passage between law and grace. There's a contrast in this passage between foolishness and wisdom. Between works and faith. Between doing and hearing. Between flesh and spirit. Between curses and blessings. And ultimately, for this particular morning, there's a great contrast between death and life. Everything that we lost in Adam and Eve and the sin and the fall... And let's be real, we lost a lot. Christ, by fulfilling the law and living a perfect, righteous life, He won back for us, and it is Jesus Christ who breaks the curse of the law so that you and I might inherit and become the blessings that God, by His grace, desires to make us. Now, if you look up famous curses, there are quite a few. I'm a baseball fan, and I watched through the 70s and 80s as the Chicago Cubs were, so to speak, under the curse of the billy goat. You can Google that and find out the details. Pretty interesting story. The Boston Red Sox, so to speak, were under the curse of Babe Ruth, having traded away Babe Ruth. It was said that they may never win another World Series, but after 86 years, the curse was broken, and the Red Sox won. After 108 years, the curse of the billy goat was broken, and the Cubs finally won. And there are other famous curses as well. The curse of the Blarney Stone, the curse of the Black Pearl, some of you have heard of that one. The Curse of the Hope Diamond, and on and on and on. It fills the literature of fantasy. 
and our fascination for a reason. But the ultimate curse that all of us are born under is the curse of Adam, the curse of sin, the curse of guilt, the curse of death. And so that's the curse that Paul is referring to, that Christ has broken, that all of us by faith and grace have the possibility of entering into. So here's number one. Here's the first blessing to those who are in Christ that God promised that Christ delivered, and it is the blessing of forgiveness. Because of the resurrection, we know, we are assured of the fact that on Friday when Jesus said it is finished, it really was and is finished. That he truly did cover and pay the penalty and the price for all All my sin, past, present, and future, because He is risen, I can know that God's gift of forgiveness is really applied to my account. Their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. And you may say, well, what big deal is that? Everyone thinks that forgiveness is a wonderful idea until they have something to forgive. And then there's the rub. When you've been hurt and you've been wronged, there's something inside of you that says somebody needs to pay for this, right? And so we understand that concept when it's us who are on the wrong end of injustice. But what we fail to consider is that all of us have sinned sinned and fallen short of the law of God, the glory of God. And so all of us by nature are guilty. We are born sinners. Who is going to pay for the wrong that I have done, not only to other people, but to God himself. The good news of the gospel is that God comes down in the person of his son and through the cross he becomes, he not only bears the curse, but he becomes a curse so that I could be forgiven. So that over my life and your life could be pronounced the good news that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Now, I can't belabor this first one, but it's so important. I think it was Don Henley himself, the great theologian from the Eagles, who said, it's time to get down to the heart of the matter. And what we're speaking of is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Even if you don't love me anymore. And you may make light of this at the moment, but when I talk to people on a daily basis who are hurting, angry, broken at the root, I'm talking at underneath, at the root, in the heart of hearts, revolves some issue related to being able to receive and give the gift, the gift of forgiveness. Somebody has to pay. The good news is that somebody did pay. And he was raised up for our justification. Number two, another blessing that we have, promised to Abraham, promised to God's people, delivered through 
the cross and the resurrection of Christ is that God is our Father. The King is our Father. In Galatians 1.1, just in passing, Paul says, I'm an apostle, not of men, but, for, but from God through Jesus Christ. Then he says, God the Father raised him from the dead. C.S. Lewis said, essentially, a Christian is someone who has God as their father. Well, what gives me the right to claim that I'm a child of God? Who do I think that I am? I did a funeral a few weeks ago for a man named David Marsh. David Marsh had literally adopted hundreds of children into his home through foster care. And there were some of those children that he legally adopted His son told me that at one point they had seven children under the age of seven living in the same household. I cannot imagine the exhaustion. This dad had built bunk beds for all those kids. He had added on rooms. Fatherhood is a gift. But what gives us the right to say that God is our father? God has adopted us legally through what he has done in his son. Christ is now my brother. God is my father. Paul later says to the Galatians, God has put the spirit of his son in you so that now you, yes, you have the right to say Abba, Daddy, Father, a term of intimacy to your creator. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you fatherless. God has taken responsibility for our discipline, our care, our provision, our salvation. The King is our Father. How do we know this? How do we know this for sure? Because on the third day, God raised him from the dead and he proclaimed to those fearful, terrified, confused, and insecure disciples, he says, I go to my God and your God and my Father and and your Father. Again, the whole Bible emphasizes all of these themes. Number three, not only is God our Father, but we have his favor. And there's a difference from having a father and having the father's favor because there's times when we have our father, but we don't necessarily at the same time have his favor. And my dad's in the room, so I'm not going to give you some of those illustrations. I think you have your own. But here's the gist. The gospel declares that God is as pleased with you and me as he is pleased with his son. Now, throughout the life of his ministry, the father said things like this about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well, what? Pleased. Not only that, but he told us that we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. My point is that we enjoy the favor and the pleasure that God has for Christ 
He is as pleased with us as he is his own son because he sees us in his son. Now, on the cross, Jesus momentarily, temporarily, for our sake, was forsaken by God and bore the penalty due our sin as he became sin on our behalf, so his Father had to treat him as he would treat sin, thus the language of the curse in Galatians chapter 3. But he was not utterly forsaken. Momentarily forsaken, but not utterly forsaken, because Jesus at the end of his time on the cross says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. So God was favoring what Jesus had done for us on the cross. It pleased him to bruise him. It says he will see the anguish of his soul and he will be satisfied. Who will be satisfied? God gave his favor, his pleasure upon all that the Son did. And by faith, you and I now enter into that favor and that pleasure that nothing can kill. There is a love out there that's stronger than anything else. The Bible says it is a love that's as strong as death. What is that love? It is the eternal love that God himself has between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It has always been. It will always be momentarily on the cross. It was broken for us. But now we enter the blessing of having God's eternal favor, his eternal love, and nothing, not even death, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'll give you a quick illustration. A lot of you know that every Friday we have a Good Friday service of darkness. One of the important steps in that service is to make the sanctuary dark. We're trying to picture what happened to Christ on the cross. So we have a reading and we snuff out a light. We have a reading and we snuff out a light. And then we go through that until we snuff out all seven lights. Well, one particular Good Friday, and the reason I have it on my mind, is someone mentioned it Friday night. They said, didn't something happen to you a few years ago in this service? I said, yeah, it did. I botched the whole thing. (laughs) I did the last reading. I couldn't get the last candle to go out. I took Miss Lois's snuffer and I held it down. It wouldn't go out. It just kept on going. It kept on going. I said, what am I going to do to make it totally dark in here? Jesus has to die before we can raise him from the dead. And, of course, I began to think. Eventually, I did get it out. I don't know what I did. Pour water on it. I don't know. But as I think through that, as as I'm reminded of it by other people, I think maybe, maybe that was right after all. Maybe that God's love and favor for his son and all that he was doing was so strong and eternal and real that nothing, not even death, not even hell, not even the devil, not even evil, not even nothing, can ever snuff out the favor of God, the grace of God, the pleasure of God for his people in Jesus Christ. That's a long way of saying number three. We have his favor. God was never, he was never, ever going to let his son stay dead and mocked 
and beaten and bruised and tortured by man and Satan and evil. God never, ever had as any kind of option in his sovereign plan his son staying down. The resurrection was and is the vindication of Jesus. When you read this verse, the just shall live by faith. Oftentimes the just in our economy don't live. In fact, in our economy, no one lives because we're under the curse. But if you read this verse to refer to Jesus, who is the one and only just one, Jesus is the one who is the just one who lives by his faithfulness and his faith and his trust in his Father. There was never a doubt in the Heavenly Father's heart and mind, that this reality, the just will live, the live by faith in Him. I'm just going to give you the other four. Because I know it's been heavy to a degree. Number four is friendship. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that He laid down His life for what? His friends. So now, not only is God my Father and I have His favor, but I also have friendship with God. He no longer calls us slaves, but friends. And and not only that, but, but we have friendship with one another. If you're a believer, if you're a child of God, if you're part of the body of Christ, you have forever friends. And you have friends who should love you at all times. Friends who will love you warts and all. Friends who know the very the very worst about you, but still love you the most. Why? Because this is what it means to be a friend of God. He's the one who knows me the best, but loves me the most. And so we are brought into this divine spiritual friendship that is called the church. Number five is formation. And obviously they all had to start with F because I'm alliterating this morning. But I took a class in seminary called Spiritual Formation. Do you realize that you and I are changing, we're growing, we're not who we were? Spiritual formation is, is this. The living Christ now lives in us, and now we are being formed to be like him. So when Paul says something like, Christ lives in me, what in the world does that mean? That means that the spirit and love and life of Christ lives in you, and he is now forming you, shaping you to be more like Christ. So to borrow the illustration from Michelangelo, how how did you carve David out of the marble? I just chipped away everything that wasn't David. So the story goes. That's easy for him to say. Paul says, I'm at labor with you Galatians until Christ be formed in you. Christ be formed. Be formed in you. If his love and life lives in us, then he is forming us to be more like him. You you enroll in spiritual formation when you decide to follow Christ because he doesn't just live. He, He also lives in us to form us and shape us into his character and his nature 
And please be patient with me because God is still working on me, okay? Please be patient with one another because we are still in process. Number six is fruitfulness. How in the world do we know that anything we're doing actually matters? I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. Our works are in vain. Our service is in vain. If Christ isn't risen, take all the books in my library and let's just toss them in the trash. But if Christ is risen, then that means that everything has meaning. That there is going to be a resurrection day when there will be rewards and there will be blessings. That not even a cup of cold water given in the name of a disciple will not be met with a reward. So here's my point. Your life will be fruitful because he's risen. The fruit of godly character, the fruit of making a difference, the fruit of making disciples, the fruit of being salt and light. If Christ be not risen, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Christ is risen, therefore Every little contribution you make really does make an eternal difference. And then number seven, this is last, and my time is almost up. This one deserves a series in itself. And I'm just going to call it future glory. Future glory. If Christ is risen, then eternal life is real. If Christ is risen, then this curse is really broken. And instead, we receive the blessing of one day being like Him in a glorified body, in a perfect place, a new heaven, a new earth, in which righteousness dwells everything that Adam and Eve forfeited and lost through the tempter, Christ has regained for us and paradise will be supersized and superseding of everything that paradise lost once was. To borrow from Tolkien, everything sad will become untrue. God really did take the worst thing and transformed it to become the best thing. On Friday, if you had interviewed the disciples, they would have said, this is wrong, this isn't fair, this can't be. But what a difference, what a reversal Sunday morning was as they began to embrace and believe the good news. Our bad things are turned to good. The good things are never lost. And the best is yet to come. God doesn't have to work it all out here and now for you and me because he has all of eternity to make justice and righteousness and beauty and, 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 and hope and meaning and love. He has all of eternity to make sure that flows down from his heart and his mind and his life through all of eternity to his children. That is a blessing that he promised to Abraham. That's a lot. But I think of all these things, I like number seven the best. 
Because there's a lot in this world that makes me sad. Makes me sad. And those disciples on Luke 24, on that road to Emmaus, they confessed to the risen Christ without knowing it was him. They said to each other and to him, we're sad. They were feeling the effects of the fall and curse and death. And just as I close this, I'll be pastoral and personal just for a second. I, a couple of weeks ago, one of my God has brought so many wonderful people in and out of my life. And when we were pastoring in North Carolina, there was a guy in his 70s named Brack Bowden who just was a hero to me and to many others in the community, in the church. I mean, he kept our kids. If it was hot during the summertime, he'd go get an AC unit and hook it up and get it running so the babies wouldn't burn up, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. He was a man's man. He could climb trees, did all the work around the church, the Parsons where we lived. So Brack had been diagnosed with cancer. Bragg's now in his 90s. And I make a phone call to Bragg and I say, Bragg, man, I really appreciate you. It's good to talk to you. And he's so weak. It's hard to hear a strong man go weak. But he got out the words. He said, Neil, I just hope, I'm just hoping, hoping to make it through the summer so that I can spend the summer with my children and my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren. I was like, man, what's wrong? Is this all there is? Is that what we're left to? I hung up the phone. I said, man, Neil, I, you know, feeling real energetic. <laughs> During spring break, you ought to ride up there and see him. Well, spring break has come and gone, and I didn't ride up there and see him. I got stuff here to do. But because of the resurrection of Christ, that does not cause us despair. We got time. We got responsibilities. There's sadness here. There's enough for you to do right where you are, right? But we've got an eternal summer coming. Through the glorious resurrection of Jesus. And in my sadness, I start singing some sad songs. I've got problems. I'll close with this, I promise. Super Bowl's almost over. Man, there's a song by Bob Seger, Against the Wind. I don't know. Talking to Brack brought up that song to mind and, and how we, we're all running against the wind, Right? Aging fast. Life is changing. You know this Seeger song. A lot of you 80s kids do. And then he gets to the end of the song and he says, Those drifters days are past me now and I've got so much more to think about. I've got deadlines and commitments. What to leave in and what to leave out. Against the, against the wind. Still running against the wind. I'm older now, but I'm still running against the wind. 
apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what we would be left with. But the winds have changed and a reversal has taken place. And now we have the wind of God's grace and His love and His power and His glory that's lifting us up. And though outwardly we waste away, inwardly we can be renewed day by day. Why? Because of all the blessings that I just told you about from Scripture. We have forgiveness. We have fatherhood. We have His favor. We're being formed. There's a future glory that's coming. Praise God. The three best words in life are, He is risen. Let's close with that. Father, thank you for your love and your glory. We are broken, sinful, fallen people. All of us, all of us have failed and fallen short of your glory. And your word says that that renders us under a curse. And we, we feel the effects of that every day. Whether it's aging, not being able to fulfill all of our deadlines and commitments, or just the daily grind. But there is a blessing. It's the blessing of Christ and grace and the gospel. Which essentially is Christ dying for us and Christ rising for us. So that even though outwardly we waste away, truly inwardly we can be renewed day by day because you live in us. Help us each to appropriate that and, and, and embrace that personally. Help us to share that with others, the good news of Jesus. May, they be, may there be a, an evangelistic side to this. That we go out always with something positive and good to give in a broken, fallen world. Thank you that that is our victory. He has overcome the world. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Because he lives.
as I present to you the Dunajak family. Uh, they've been here long enough for me to learn to pronounce it correctly. So I want to present to you this morning Rick and Keisha and Schuyler and Malachi. So they desire to unite with Glenlock Baptist Church this morning from Journey Fellowship in Bremen uh, by transfer of letter. They all four have uh, accepted Christ and been baptized. So we're taking them by transfer of letter. I really appreciate this family. So they've already jumped in and started serving in our food pantry every Tuesday. As some of you very well know, they've added life and enthusiasm. And, and Skylar and I even rode uh, Pandemonium on Thursday. We survived Pandemonium together at Six Flags. So these, these guys, this, this family is so, so gracious and so kind. What's the pleasure of Glenlock Baptist Church? Um, okay. Did I hear a second? I heard a second. All in favor, let it be known by saying amen. 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 So here on Easter Sunday morning, we welcome you all into Glenlock Baptist Church. Hey, after we're done, if you haven't met them yet, please come by and encourage them and thank them for being a part of us. And then also for Miss Angel. Come on, Warren, stand with her, all right? You're one of the reasons she started coming here, if not the main reason. So uh, Angel this morning obviously was baptized as part of our worship service. We want to present her with